Simo and Redman are the thong slappers. They're two blokes making lots of noise but getting nowhere fast. Hey folks, this is Simo and welcome to episode one of the Thong Slappers. Now joining me on this likely perilous journey is uh, Redmond. He's probably a snapshot of an Aussie guy. Definitely someone who I enjoy a, a good old Gen X NASA with and talking about cars. How are you, mate? Hey, good right? time out going. Very, very good, buddy, up here in uh, Townsville, actually. Ah, it'd be pretty hot up there now, no, would it? it's as hot as Jennifer Hawkins' little sister. <laughs> well, that's got to be a good thing. She must be in Brisbane then as well. Hey, um, look, I guess, you know, what we're looking to do with this podcast for, you know, you guys out there is just sort of talk about stuff that we love. We're both heavily into Generation X. We are both Gen X people, of course, and we love the trappings of our youth. But on top of that, we're both massive car fans too. So, you know, cars have been a huge thing in both our lives. This is actually how we became mates in the first place was through cars. So I guess through the course of the episodes of this podcast, we want to, you know, chat I take a bit of a snapshot in time, like choose a year, talk about kind of stuff that was going on and add definitely a, a, a very healthy dollop of cars and Generation X into that. So, you know, I guess your background, mate, you're very much an Ardent Holden fan, even though you do have a bit of Ford going on in the background too. You know, what's probably your current state of play as far as cars go? Uh, at the moment, uh, there's not much going on because of the heat, as we spoke about earlier. So uh, it's a good time of the year to do some uh, some other stuff with cars. There's plenty to be done around cars. I mean, this podcast, for instance, or uh, padding or bits and pieces. <laughs> but at the moment, I've just got the uh, an old VK Commodore that I bought a few years ago and jammed together, and we have lots of fun in that. Yeah, no, that's definitely the go. And, I mean, look, I guess that's the thing too. VK Commodore being a choice for you, would I be right in saying it's kind of something that you grew up with, especially in the 80s, like when you're an impressionable young lad with your red hair and, you know, you're probably wearing a Ghostbuster shirt and all that? Is that kind of something that was, I guess, pretty strong for you in the 80s? Is that what got you into definitely, it? Definitely, definitely. Uh, looking at the Holdens in uh, Bathurst Holden dealership when I was a kid and I'm quite lucky with the, the VK budget-wise and bits and pieces, it, it probably, you know, doesn't rate up there, but I always wanted a VK Brock, obviously it's a lookalike, but always wanted a VK Brock with Simmonses. So, I mean, yeah, I've got it. Fair enough, the VK and the Simmonses are probably, you know, cheaper now than they were back in the day. But um, also just they've got a, a daily driver, just the VEU. I really rate uh, the V8 Holden at the moment. Well, what used to be the V8 Holden, they're now obviously defunct in Australia. But, I mean, having a just a Holden V8 Ute, I can't believe that that, that, that is what Holden is selling as the Ute or have been selling as the Ute. It's got a six-litre, six-speed in it. It's uh, Sheffield-projected, yeah, all yeah. alloy. I mean, the state of cars up until this year – well, only a couple of months ago, yeah, really, but, isn't it? Yeah. But what it does yep. for us, though, I think, us guys that are into it, it does leave us with a lot of cars now. So I think street machining, street cars in general, are in good hands because, for instance, 68 model won Grand National at the Summer Nats this year. So using that maths, basically, we've got another 50 years of the cars that we've got now, like the, the you know, the VE back to the, even, you know, the VL. Yeah, so sure, definitely. They're I getting mean... beat up now and they'll be available for the guys come along behind us, guys and girls. Well, look, I think that's a really good point. And the thing you've got to remember is, too, is that cars, of course, are cyclic. Like, whereas, say, you know, like people maybe in their 50s grew up cruising around in the back seat to Holdens and all the rest of it, and with us it was probably 70s cars like Valiant and HQs and that sort of thing. You know, the newer generations coming through have had that experience, but in different cars, whether it be young kids in the 80s with VKs and VLs or into VRs, and, you know, through into the 90s. It's stuff that uh, I guess that they're familiar with. And, I mean, that's probably a lot of the reason why things like, as in pure vintage cars, like not hot rods, but just vintage cars themselves, 
kind of are so cheap to buy now because, unfortunately, I don't want to sound bad saying this, but a lot of the people into pure vintage cars nowadays, they've probably passed on, you know, and give it 30 years' time, people probably aren't going to care about Chargers and Monaros like we do now. You know, it's, it's that continual rolling cycle. So I think it's definitely a thing. you just got to get in and enjoy it while you can, that's for sure, while we can still drive them as well. We haven't been governed off the road yet, but I'm sure it's going to happen eventually. Yeah, with uh, the vintage car crowd, I guess, getting smaller, maybe they are getting more boutique too. Like you say, that maybe that um, genre has passed on a bit too. Maybe the guys that are now doing it are um, out of the industry. Well, I think too, I think in a lot of ways, a lot of the vintage stuff now is almost treated like art pieces. You go to some of the shows and, and the brass work and the amazing attention to detail, they aren't just obviously cars and, and fantastic history of cars and motorbikes and the rest of it, but they're just amazing machines to look at. You know, it's only been since, like me personally, as I've got older, they've actually started to appreciate the work and the absolute, I guess, genius that went into the early creation of vintage stuff, whether it be cars or, or motorbikes and how much things have developed from there. I guess the kind of thing is how, you know, in that time, the old saying, a lot's changed, but nothing's really changed. Like a lot of the, the basic, very basic parameters are still there. But um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how our cars are looked at, you know, in 40 years' time. And I guess that's almost something to look forward to without wishing your life away. But in saying that, I kind of look forward to seeing how our generation covered in tats look in 40 years as well. So <laughs> yeah. that'll be something different too. And wake up and go, I've got a flame job on my arm. Brilliant. I'm 60. That was <laughs> great when I was 20 and rode a BMX for, uh, for work. <laughs> <laughs> or like, yeah, something, you know, a BMX doing an air air jump off your nipple or something. So maybe that's the next one you can get. Give that I a try. I think we should be. Um, I think as you made the point the other day with the shape of cars, I'd, something I'd never considered, I guess a, an SS and an XR8, which are the two kind of street cars that are going to be pulled apart in the future, are pretty similar in shape compared to some of the thoughts you had around like a Charger or a, or a Tarant. Yeah, I think definitely um, that's obviously as, as things like aerodynamics and you know uh, economics of vehicles, producing vehicles and what the customer base of new car buyers wanted, Cars definitely went away from just being artistic flair in the styling studio. Like, say, you line up an HQ Holden next to an XY Falcon next to a VH Valiant. All the cars are markedly different, and you can see the difference. You can pick them a mile away. You can pick what's what. Whereas these days, I mean, you know, I'm guilty of mistaking, you know, some cars for really embarrassing versions of other cars because they look very, very the same. And that whole slippery shape with aerodynamics and materials that are being used and may having to comply with so many design rules, it kind of makes everything look, uh, um, it makes everything look very similar, which also too, it surprises me that people don't go out of their way more to make cars look more individual, like was done back in the seventies and the eighties with the early street machine and especially the custom panel van phase. Um, people didn't want their cars to look like anyone else's. They, you know, specifically went out of their way to, you know, make their own personal choice of car look different, which is cool, I think, and I love that era, and I'd love to see people do that more these days. I think the majority of the panel yeah. vanners and the early guy, earlier guys were dead set uh, home builders, <laughs> exclusively 100% home builders. They may have made help with bits and pieces, but um, when I look back at some of the old magazines and read, read they're just so home. Like, as, as far as woodwork in the back of a van, you've probably seen them. It's all like, wow. Uh, you know, have you ever used a wood saw yeah. on your streetcar? And they're like, wow, that's where we come from. The guys were doing it, you know. They were building, you know, I've seen, I haven't seen one for 20 years, but I certainly have seen plenty of tape boxes. <laughs> seen guys that used to make, particularly for like road trucks, make themselves a box for their tape out of wood. 
Now, you go to Kmart these days and you just buy a, a plastic throwaway Tupperware container for two or three bucks and fill up all the shit anyway. But the guy, <laughs> exactly. the guy at home in his shed with his little saw and, and bits and pieces, it's uh, street yeah, definitely, definitely come a long way as far as you read any of the magazines. And there's so much stuff you can get. You can buy a four-link rear clip. You can, you can do a lot at home, I think. I think you could really uh, build yourself a fairly big car at home on a fairly uh, modified yeah, budget. Yeah, sure. And that's the thing, too. Like, I remember as a kid going to a panel band show in the early 80s, and there was an XC Falcon there that actually had, like, a brick archway when you opened, like, the barn doors, the leading edge. It actually had bricks grouted in there as part of the part of the actual interior. And that's what someone had done, you know, as part of that customising phase. And I just, you know, you just don't see things like that anymore. It would probably make it easy to lower the back of the, the van as well. But, you know, probably the, the craziest one was, I think it was about maybe an XY-era ute, and it had the rear window was like a bubble window, like you'd see, say, on vans, but it actually was done like a fishbowl. So it had like all water and stuff in there as well. Like people just let their imaginations run wild. And they sure as hell weren't bagged out for it. It was actually considered to be something really awesome. So, yeah. A lot of, um, you, could, you couldn't get as lofty with it, with it, but I mean, there is a lot of, of art in that style of thing, isn't there? There is really is. You, you couldn't. Show cars to me are, are, are basically art. I like them. Like, there's not one genre of street cars that I don't like. I don't care if it's Victor Bray's door slammer or if it's, um, you know, a HR with small block in it. There's not one genre. I think we get tied up in the genres a bit in, in street cars. I think, you know, pro street, super street. If it's got doors, it's a car. I couldn't care if it's got a blower or if it's got a tub rear end. You know, where, where you fit in the genre is where you feel most comfortable, I think. I think definitely too. If it still looks like, for the most part, even though I'm just talked on the back of talking about customising, if you can still recognise it or say that it's a particular make and model, then, you know, that really is, is enough for it to fall into the scene as far as I'm concerned. So, you know, it, it's got to be a good thing. But, you know, speaking, I guess, of the 70s and especially the custom thing, I guess kicking off with us, probably a, a good year to talk about is 1973. I mean, for starters, that was a year both you and I were born, so it seems to be an appropriate choice, but... What were you up to, mate, in 1973? Can you remember? Can you even remember sitting in the crib? <laughs> nope, I can't. I was in the, uh, the tropics of Singapore, actually, in 1973, and I was zero. Actually, in four <laughs> days, I will be zero. Now, what about you, Simon? What was happening in 73 for you, buddy? Mate, I think it was more my parents that were really busy in 73. You know, looking back to sort of my birthdays late in the year, and my birthday is pretty much nine months on from Australia Day. So I'd say Australia Day 1973 was a pretty busy... Not that I really want to think about it, but I kind of, I guess, need to acknowledge it. It was probably a busy time for my parents. Um, yeah, no doubt my dad probably pulled the smooth moves on Australia Day. He'd probably been out, had a couple of tallies or something and slept on a bit of Old Spice, and here I am. But, uh, yeah, so as far as that goes, not really something we would remember a lot of, but I tell you what, it was actually, there was a lot of change happening that year, both in Australia and around the place. And it's amazing when you actually start to look into specific times and, and dates how much change there was and, and how many, you know, I guess when you look at it now, like iconic things happened in that time, which really, when I think, I think 1990, like there's that famous saying, I still think 1990 was 10 years ago. And that's very true. I still think 1970 wasn't that long ago, but looking at us and looking in the mirror and when the hair's falling out and going gray, you realize that, hang, hang on, we're like 44 now, time is marching on. So I now know what it feels like to be on the other side of that equation, I think, but in Australia, I mean, Gough Whitlam was Prime Minister and, you know, that's such a, just seems a world away from the way things are now. And I mean, Vietnam War, that ended in 73. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff making head, made, like major headlines through that time. I mean, in Australia, 
especially with the car base, like the car culture side of things, you know, we were smack bang in the middle of an uh, like an energy crisis with fuel and stuff like that. So, you know, I think times are definitely changing, especially for the manufacturers and, and for the car scene in general. Yeah. For some yeah. time, like, Which is, um, was just total. I just imagine walking into either a record store, you know, what Led Zeppelin were doing in the USA, actually ACDC was their first year. They mightn't have had a record out, I don't think, by then, probably a couple of singles. Bond was still singing for them. Imagine going into a depth. In 73, yeah. oh, I don't know whether I want the XU1. You know, should I shoot around a Ford and get myself a new GT? Or <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I probably would have been broke and still trying to buy rusted out FJ Holdens or something like that in 73. But you, I think it was definitely the tail end of, of, of a, an amazing time. I mean, you think about the, the, the huge erection that was the American muscle car scene from the late 60s and early 70s was starting to soften off, you know, with their gas energy crisis too. And, a lot of the V8s were really, I guess, being pushed out the window. And, I mean, in Australia, well, in 72, you had the, the supercar scare where Evan Green printed that big thing in uh, the Sydney paper about, you know, all these, these high-performance vehicles that Ford, Holden and Chrysler were, were planning, like the Phase 4 XA, and you had the, well, I guess the V8, uh, like XU2, was it the V8 LJ Tirana and then um, Chrysler with their V8 RT they were looking at? That too, I mean, that, that just changed the whole manufacturers cast in overnight as far as muscle cars go. And I think at the end of the day, that probably is what spawned a lot of your sports-type inspired vehicles, things like the, you know, like the Charger Sportsman, the John Goss Falcon XB Coupes, uh, the Ellie Monaro and Lady Years stuff, which really uh, wasn't really – they weren't performance vehicles anymore. They were just pretty much changed as far as their trim goes. You know, they'd have some Larry trim or wild stripes and colours – it was more just a physical pack, not didn't have that punch and that muscle that we'd grown to love with things like, you know, HKTG Monaros, the early Chargers, the early, and of course Falcon GT. So, I think things were definitely changing through that period, and you know, not always for the better, but I guess it just shapes the way the future rolled on, doesn't it? Seventy-three, definitely, it was uh, definitely an interesting time for Australia. I suppose a lot more, a lot more innocent back then. I suppose when we. We've just lost the V8 again, basically. So it's it's history repeating itself with uh, with uh, Ford and Holden not producing the V8 anymore. You wouldn't have thought that in '73. You couldn't have put um, you couldn't have put a million dollars on that. You wouldn't have also thought that not far from down that line, a Sierra had been Bathurst to four cylinder. <laughs> I mean, it was a bit yeah, but yeah. Um, yeah I think your dealers uh, had a lot to do with what cars were kind of selling and what was hot back then. You know, there was a bit more dealer base. You could walk into a dealership and there was your salesman, you know, probably smoking on his Marlboro, probably had. <laughs> <laughs> probably had his um yeah for lunchtime. You couldn't do that now, you get your head cut off. But um Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, seventy three yeah. definitely was a uh, an interesting year because it was year zero for you and I, I guess. Yeah, no, but for sure. I mean, hey look, a big massive thing, you know, McDonald's had actually only been in Australia for a couple of years and their first Melbourne store was open in seventy three as well. Did you realise that? <laughs> that was um nineteen seventy three. Yeah, Melbourne, their first store was yeah, so that's a long time ago. Now it's hard to believe they've been around for so long as well. It's, it's you gotta work out where McDonald's sits in, in the culture basically for, for Australians. It has replaced I've seen it myself firsthand, it has replaced the, the fish and chip shop. You know, you go and get some chips wrapped up in a bit of bit of paper with a bit of salt on them and you know, um And newspaper of that yeah. too. You know, you'd actually get it in newspapers. I remember yourself. driving the Blue Mountains with my mum when I was a kid. We'd all jump into uh, a Volkswagen Beetle, 
And uh, we go <laughs> over the Blue Mountains. So you can imagine Mount Victoria and a Volkswagen Beetle. It probably had two birthdays on one trip. But um, mum used to pack us uh, toast and, and a thermos and bits and pieces. And it was quite common, you know, see people pull over having a cup of tea and stuff. Now it's just too easy. You just, you know, wheel over and go into McDonald's. And our our, uh, our Volkswagen had a cup holder. It was me. <laughs> I was the youngest kid. Yeah. So I hold the cups. You know, I get the, I get the job of holding the cups. I don't think Volkswagen Beetle hasn't even got seatbelts in the back, has it? Probably not, no. If it was pre-71, it caught, definitely it not. It caught so. on fire on us. The back seat bridged the battery out. Oh, really? Of course, was the batteries right at the back seats on those two, isn't it? Yeah. Still yeah. Is, I hate to say bucket list because it places me in, in uh, Generation Y, and if you were here, you'd probably punch me in the face for even saying bucket list. <laughs> definitely <laughs> definitely one, of the, one of the cars that I'm definitely going to get. Hey, speaking of 73, what do you want to take from 1983 and put back into 1973 and vice versa? Ooh, okay. Now... I'm probably not too much good with a 10-year shot, but can I can I like go out in a little bit of a limb here and just sort of say two things that I'd love to do with 1973? Can I like bring something yep. from 1973 to now and then maybe go back to 1973 and do something? Yes, Would that yep. work out yep. all right? Um, look, I guess if I was going to be able to go back to 1973, I'd probably go back and kick uh, Evan Green in the nuts for his supercar share story. I mean... It did kind of change the landscape, and especially, too, if you took a VN back to him in 1973, let's say a VN Series 1, like just a V6, just an executive, just some like, you know, those things were like a talk monster. I'd love to take him back and say, well, listen, mate, you can jump up and down and say, you want to say about people, these, you know, factory-built cars are going to kill people, get him in a VN Series 1 with 14-inch wheels and take him for a run in that, do a burnout from here to the end of the street and back a big peg legger, and he'll see that, you know, within, what, 15, 16 years, how quick your base model family car could be. It was virtually the, you know, the equivalent of the HQ for 1988, wasn't it, VN? That, that's, so that's exactly that's right. Probably... Some of the stuff around cars, like we had uh, HR bits and pieces, old Geminis. I mean, the big, the big ticket was 100 miles an hour. Can you do 160? You can get in a Corolla, a 10-year-old Corolla these days, and the thing will get faster than a 186 HR with a four-barrel. You know what I mean? The because yeah, yeah definitely. definitely times are changing Evan green in the balls yeah. i think you'd have um you'd get a few likes for that time i think i think everybody <laughs> give on the and if i could bring something from 1973 back to now it'd be like a, a ford landau you know the i guess the coupe version of an ltd with a, the fold-up headlights and stuff they're, they're probably in my top five of all time cars and of course they're just so hard to get now and they're so expensive if if I could bring something back, I'd probably, I'd probably bring back, yeah, definitely a Ford Landau. I love those things. That'd be, you know, on my top five list, like I said. So that'd be cool. Landau. Um, when I was kid, my uh, brother's mate had one, a 4V top loader, uh, nine-inch, two six fives on the back, just black, and just I think they're all black. Were they twelve slots, by the they way? Were. Like we talking a few years yes, ago? Yes, they definitely. They were definitely uh, twelve slots. Plus, uh, last year or the year before, at uh, the car show up here at Townsville, I'm not sure which car show it was. But it wasn't. I think it was the one for Old Holden's car at the showground. The Landu one top car. It's black. It is absolutely. Them cars have so much real estate, and to paint one black, black you, you're kind of backing yourself, aren't you? Oh, definitely. Look, my I guess a fit, like love affair with Landau started in the early '80s. Is about '82. Um, I grew up in the Gap in Brisbane, and there was a guy who lived down the road from me who had a really tough XA, like a kind of like an electric blue coloured XA GT hardtop. But his best mate had, uh, like it was like a kind of a maroon with a beige type vinyl roof Landau. Yep. Same deal. It had 
the world's widest 12 slotters on the back. They're probably like 14 10s or 14 12s with huge tyres. And I remember one night on Halloween, I said to him, mate, you know, can you like spin the wheels? Like being a kid of seven or eight, can you spin the wheels? And this guy dropped the hugest burnout in front of me and I was just standing in the smoke cheering. It was like, you know, like 7.30 at night, just cheering. I was just gobsmacked. And the thing I remember clearly more than anything else He'd actually gone to the trouble of putting bulbs in the centre section between the tail lights. So as he's taken off through the smoke, you can just see this big long tail light strip lit up. You know what I mean? Yeah, like in that centre section, he'd put extra bulbs in. And um, oh, I just thought it was the coolest. And I've just been in love with those cars ever since. But never owned one. But um, definitely, definitely my my top five. That's for what sure. Are the so, other, what are yeah. the other four? Oh, oh, um. Definitely, look, no particular order. You've got the Landau for sure, as I've mentioned. The other one would be like a 1941 Willys Coupe, but definitely the Gasser. You know, like yeah, I yep. love I love that Gasser, the whole Gasser Wars of the 60s and stuff. Um, going on from there, it'd be a 68 Dodge Charger, probably the Bullet Influence, you know, like 444 speed, triple black. I could definitely do with one of those in the, in the garage. Um, then I'd probably be looking at an EH Holden panel van, being of the fact I love panel vans. An XY panel van would be awesome too, and even an HT, but I'd do them all 70s style, you know, jacked in the back, big chrome wheels on them, you know, tramp rods and all that sort of stuff. That's probably more than five, but you get the gist. Maybe I can just tie those panel vans in together. And, of course, Valiant panel vans. I love hey, those um, as well for something a bit different. Hold on. I'm, I'm not your wife. You can't tie two cars. Sorry, mate. <laughs> you uh, you tried that on. It was worth a shot, but it's Redmond, not your wife. But no, no, you have to separate them. Two cars. Uh, that was my next question. With the with the charger, are we talking? Yeah, uh, I know the answer to this before. <laughs> We're not talking factory rest, rest hour, are we? Talking? No, no. Look, I, I I do look as much as I'm not really. I don't look on old cars as being like classics in inverted commas, which seems to be the rage these days. A lot of people wrecking classics and all that. I would definitely go. Again, probably a bit of a 70s street freak with it. You know, like I love, again, jacked in the back with a huge set of Craig RSSs. Um, I even love like uh, Dodge Daytonas with the wings and the big noses on the front. It'd probably be a bit of a mix between, you know, like a just, I guess something a young bloke in the 70s would buy and do up like the way he'd do it up. You know, like I said, just, you know, even if it had a bit of primer here and there, I wouldn't care. I just want the thing to look like a bit of a 70s, cool, tough, just a street tough car. I think it'd be awesome. So, yeah. I'm thinking as you describe it, I'm thinking proper street car, just what I call a, yeah. a proper yeah. street car. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's probably You've just probably answered my question in, in two words that I took 30 to say, but I guess, you know, for you, what would be like your, you know, your fiction fraction? What would be the thing you would swap between 73 and 83? I'd uh, go to 1983 and get, uh, VH wagon, I think it is. You get a 308, get the 5 litre with a turbo 350 factory in a wagon for some reason, maybe because it's got the ah. towing capacity or something. So anyway, I'd pull that engine out, the engine and training out, and actually the 10 bolt as well. I'd take it to 1973 yeah. to the end of the factory line, and one of the next year ones that came rolling off, ah. buy a cart for the boys, maybe some fish and chips, and as long as they weren't, you know, too busy listening to. You know, ABBA or whatever's on the radio in the in the factory back then. <laughs> I'd definitely take the 83 drivetrain out of the Commodore and jam it back into a Tirana. And actually, if I yeah, if I could uh, use the fiction at the end of that that line again, if I could be standing at the end of that production line, I would get myself an XU1 and I'd give it to uh, Mark Hayes. You know, Mark Hayes with the LC, the big block LC. He's had yeah, the 454 yeah. one. Yeah, it's been around the scene for. Long. He started in panel bands, actually. Interesting enough. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, I'd definitely like to go to the end of the factory line and give that extra one straight him, not 
not so in 30 years could sell it by three units in the Gold Coast. So he could actually, he would be probably two or one years old, I'd say, like that in 73, but I'd have it for him. I'd love to see it now. I don't, I don't want to see yeah. it with the correct sticker on the radiator and, and probably have some fat lock wedge in there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know, I guess then again, it'd probably be a bit late for 1973 cooling in the engine too, but I think that'd be awesome. He'd come up with something pretty cool and it's something that we'd, I guess is is not so much anti-restorers or in any way not anti-classic or anti-restorer, but, you know, there's plenty of restored stuff around. It'd be great to see people do something crazy like that. And especially with the time, like his his light blue or acari-coloured Tirana he's got, how much that's developed over time, you know, that'd be pretty awesome to see what else he could do. It's been one of my favourite cars for a long time, but I'll be guilty of calling nearly every car one of my favourite cars. I think the main thing with our, with our, in, well, I don't know, is it a sport or is it industry or is it our hobby, our pastime, whatever street, is to cel- celebrate the success of what we've done, not, not bag someone for shaved door handles or bag them for bits and pieces, but really celebrate how good we are at doing things now. We're just, you know, tons of places, it's a good thing we do. I, just to, if I'm off on the wrong tan- tangent here, but I have had a chance to, I just scoped a few people who actually are restored, who do their cars and restore so just to get their side of it, probably yeah. place myself street car, like my, my my genre, what I like is streetcar, so it's not so much restoring. But um, my brother, for one, he's he's somebody who likes the restored side to have a car pretty much correct. And when, when we break it down and we talk amongst us, I think it's these guys in the country, like we, all, we grew up around Bathurst, and my brother's older than me. They spend yeah. so long with these old cars, old bits and pieces, doing a lot of actual repairs as well as, you know, repairing the car so much as well as modifying it. I mean, you know, I remember seeing him have gearbox out and a million parts all over the ground. And this is this in Bathurst on a Sunday, so there's no super cheap auto. There's no dealership to go. I mean, you have to fix it. I mean, the thing has to get fixed. So I think they spend so long just the car changes a lot. It doesn't have much OEM stuff on it by the time. Well, it was 20 years old before they got it. Probably 30 years old by the time they got their old FJs and bits and pieces. And they just, in the youth, they had to patch them together and they didn't really modify them greatly. And now it's it's, it's come the full scene. What he likes doing, or what a couple of restores, they like having access to the parts, like it's a look like it should, you know. Whereas with his HR, he put four shifter in it. And you know what? We probably didn't even have a grinder. We probably, you know, had a hacksaw and chisels and bits and pieces. And, and now he can go and buy the correct shifter with the correct with the yeah. correct boot, with the correct linkage, with the reverse switch. All the stuff is non-standard yeah. on his, say, HR by the time we, we plugged it around. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, did you guys did you guys wear wheat sacks to school and have bare feet? Did you, like, have to share one thong? I was or like, something? um... Huck Finn and Tom Stoyd. I just did not describe their after adventure, or did we lose stop talking cars? Something interesting that was pointed out to me only last year at that same car show, Barry, a friend from Bath has come up and he's a GT guy. He's got an XR GT and he loves, he loves that thing. Yeah. I had never noticed before when we we're looking at a car at the show, he pointed out to me, he goes, Look how good the paint is in between the doors. So when you open up the doors, you know the door jam? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Years of being a car guy, and I've gone, huh. <laughs> oh, cool. So now when I look at cars, that's something I, I don't. My car is a terrible example, <laughs> but I mean, there is guys that are into it for that scene, and that's you know just, just trying to understand restorers, and that's that's where they fit into it, having access to the good parts and having the thing. To me, there's I always like going and talking to the uh, the guys at shows, but there's four or five cars that are exactly the same, like factory trans. I'm like, yeah, they're cool. A friend's got a hatch, a yellow hatch. You've seen the photos, I think, definitely, definitely 90s. Yeah, stuff. and we'll pop them up on our Facebook page too, by the way. Yeah, I'll definitely get those. On Jelly there. beans, and it's got the fighter gear stick knob, black bonnet. I think it's color-coded bumpers. And I was talking to him the other day, and he said, oh, yeah, I've got to get the paint fixed and where they roll the guard. Somebody, you know, dinted it a little bit here and there. And, and he said to me, and the interior is a bit faded. And I just kind of stressed to him how important it is to drive it as it is. Just 
enjoy yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Just enjoy not, it. Just get out. Yeah. I, think, I think the enjoyment of cars get lost, gets lost a lot of the time with the obsession. And that, that is the thing. And I've, look, I've been guilty of it myself. It's like, ah, oh, man, sometimes you think, I just can't be bothered going to the servo. Because every time I take one of my cars out, it needs to go to the servo. And it just seems a bit hard. But then once I actually get out and drive it, I love it so much. You know, I enjoy it. And if you're ever thinking about selling your car and you're really not too sure whether you want to or not, take it for a drive and I guarantee you'll come home and the thing's not going anywhere. Yeah. So that's always the, the surefire way to, to tell if you want to, you know, if you're ready to sell or not. That's yeah, for sure. And so so. That's, the enjoyment in a car. Uh, me and my brother and nephew, obviously, we're, we're pretty tight. So I think we can, when we, well, he built that V8 Hilux for me. We had so much fun in that car, just going out the back roads out here and just beating the absolute shit out of it. And even a friend of mine, Hoggy, has got that uh, 215 GDS. So what's that, make it a VR or something? Yeah, it's yeah, back, be about that era. Yeah. 350 in it. A few years ago, he put a pro charger on it, pulled it apart, and it sat in his shed, and in between starting the project, uh, work changed for him. I mean, his yeah. budget kind of got chopped there anyway, won't get too far. But the car was pulled apart in the shed, it just became a bit of a drama. And him and I were having a chat one day, and he, and he said it was just so much fun, that car. It was just the GDS he has. Me and the boys would go cruising there. We'd have fun. It, yeah, the rear spoiler's a bit chipped here and there, and the interior has had more urban in it than, than Scotty Taylor. But it, um, <laughs> it was more fun for him. And that's what I'm trying to say. A car is fun without having – you don't have to have the actual pontifying. So I'm being guilty of pontification, I think. I'm, yeah, but your car can be – any car can be fun. You, me and my brother and nephew can go and jump in it. A three thousand dollar XR6 thing goes like snot anyway. The single pegger and go and have fun. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Go that mate Shane's got that farm out there. <laughs> got a couple of graded roads. We're probably pretty good getting out there and beating cars up on it. But that's the fun in cars. Yeah, I'm rabbiting on. Mate, nothing wrong with rabbiting <laughs> on. Hey, um, it's funny, you know, like just sort of thinking about that and thinking how much things change. You know, like talking about 1973 and, and cars that were new and, and, and cars that be around. Like, I just can't fathom buying an LJ Tirana that's brand new. I can't even fathom buying one that's 10 years old, which is sort of not a position I was in personally because I was only 10, but even at 15 years old, like, they weren't really that old a car. Like, one of my good mates, he bought a VKX Police, one of those yellow highway patrol things. And just talking to him the other day, he bought it in 1990, so it was only like you know four or five years old, and it just yeah. it just seems hard to imagine that that's you know the way it was. And you look at say Bathurst in 1973, like they were brand new. You've got you know with that you've got um, Alan Moffat won an XAGT hardtop, and he was uh, I think Ian Gagan, one of the Gagan brothers, was the guy piloting in the car with him, and he you know, came first. And you've got Brocky, he was in a uh, an XG1 Tirana, and that was actually the year 73 was the year that um, Doug Chivers ran out of fuel. Have you ever seen that footage of Chivers actually went as far as he could? Then had to actually push the car up the pit lane to get it into Brocky to refuel it? Have you ever seen that? It wasn't that what year it was. I have seen that, yeah, where he's pushing that. That looks like a well-headed yeah. armor, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, mate, it does. He, he's obviously just so exhausted because, you know, he's manhandling this thing around Mount Panorama for however long, you know, and he's... He's obviously exhausted. He's pushing the thing up pit lane, and you see he finally makes it to the point, and Brocky just does the big full-on shoulder just to get him clear and gets himself in the car. And Look, they did end up coming second, and from that they did end up finishing on the same lap, I believe, as as what um, Moffat and Gagan did, which, of course, is a testament to Peter Brock's you know, driving ability as well. But it's just, it's just funny to imagine those cars being brand new and some wide-eyed, starry-eyed teenagers seeing that and going, you know what, I'm going to go to Holden and buy one of those. That'd be, you know, that'd be pretty... That's I think just... Alan Moffat 
and now I know Alan Moffat was, and it's not that long ago, Alan Moffat was Australia's first paid professional race car driver. Yeah, pretty much. I think that was back in the days. I'm sure all the um, nitpickers will correct me, but I'm pretty sure that's in the back in the days of when he was running that Mustang. Was that like sort of 69 or 70? I think that it pretty much fired up from then. Um, so yeah, definitely. He, he's, he's had a, like a massive career and, and definitely been one of these drivers who's, you know, kicked a lot of goals and, and had a lot happen. That's for sure. And um, it's, it's sort of funny. It wasn't until I was thinking about it, reading, you know, and, and remembering things about, like, the XA hardtop. They pretty much jumped from XAs maybe to XCs, like with the, the Cobras, and pretty much jumped the XBs all together. Again, that's from bad memory. I mean, look, when I was a kid when all this was happening, you know, in the late 70s and stuff, I thought HDT on the Tirana spelled hot, and I thought that was just the best thing ever. I thought, oh, man, that Tirana's hot. That's what it says, but it wasn't until I was probably in my early teens that I actually was told that it was HDT. It didn't matter that it had Holden Dealer Team written there, and it should have been obvious, but that memory for me as a kid watching Bathurst was that the Toronto said hot, and that's just what I, I thought was the coolest thing ever. absolutely swear with no positive, with absolute positivity. So did I, Simon, and so did my friend Gus Rory, definitely. We had hot written on our, on our school books. I think he wrote it on his and yeah, I don't know when we discovered that it was um, it was HDT, but yeah, it was. Uh, we're definitely guilty of that as well. I mean, we're country kids. That's uh, yeah. spelling and, and literature and and uh, and grammar's not that high on a streetcar's. Uh, I've got a, a little nephew. He's actually my nephew's son, little Brock. He's about five now. I think he starts school next yeah. year. Yeah. And I've been teaching him yeah. his letters. They said, "Oh, Uncle Redmond, can you, you teach him letters?" So I've been teaching him <laughs> HDT, VK. X, Y, I had to teach him numbers, so I taught him 186, 202. So, yeah, he's not allowed to hang out with me before school anymore. Oh, I was going to say, that kid's going places with, uh, you know, training like that. But I guess, you know, as much as we talk about a lot of the new cars kind of from that time, the custom car side and especially the hot rod side was still booming. I mean, you know, the hot rod scene in Australia had been coming forward in leaps and bounds. You had a lot of, you know, quite a number of dedicated magazines for that, but the actual first Australian, um, like the Street Road Nationals, were held in Naranda in 73. They had 250 entrants, which was pretty cool. So that was like another landmark thing that happened back then. Um, you know, on top of that, with Hot Rods as well, American Graffiti was actually what? released as a movie too, which is just such, you know, such a timeless, timeless, you know, classic movie. Like everyone who's into cars will be aware of, if they haven't already seen it 500 times, will definitely be aware of American Graffiti as the movie. That's for I like sure. the fact that it's got actual hot cars in it. It is like, watch it with the sound down, it's got actual hot cars in it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, look, the Foul for 55 is cool as, of course, John Milner's, whether you, you know is it is it piss yellow or pure green? Do scoop like um and and funnily enough, you know uh, that actual movie was based on the pilot of Happy Days. Like the a pilot of, was done for Happy Days. I think it was around seventy one or seventy two. And then of course Ron Howard was in the pilot. And when George Lucas saw the pilot for Happy Days, which wasn't actually going anywhere, I think they maybe did just that single episode as part of a bigger a bigger show. George Lucas thought that Ron Howard as he was playing in um, in Happy Days, would be perfect to have a role in American Graffiti. And so, of course, American Graffiti was made. The, it was such a popular movie at the cinemas and theatres and stuff like that. That then spawned Happy Days to be then made as a series because it got that interest back in the whole 50s and 60s scene. So it's kind of funny and ironic how, you know, Happy Days influenced American Graffiti, which then influenced the proper full run of Happy Days afterwards. So... It's kind of interesting too with with that sort of stuff. How things can come and go like that, and just be, and they both like. I mean, American Graffiti is such an iconic movie for us, 
And of course, happy days, especially our generation growing up with both of those things. Um, it's amazing how I guess they, 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 uh, piggybacked each other to, to great success as, as the time went on. You know, that's for sure. The thing, the but, thing with happy days that I don't quite understand, obviously, you know, from television writers' point of view is Ron Howard is Richie Cunningham, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, definitely. In in happy days, yeah, six one, six two, maybe he's a tall guy, lot lot long reach, like a lot of reach on him. And what? Yeah, it's so, so, yeah. about a five eight. You know, he doesn't look stop <laughs> stretch. I'm going to back the rang. I reckon if there's a full on stink, so I'd have a proper punch up. I reckon he'd do him. Eh? I reckon he'd sit the old ones. Yeah, look, you're just saying that because you're a ranger yourself and you're always going to side naturally, as I understand. But for the Fonz, mate, he just had to click his fingers and. You know, like some like beam would fall off the roof of Arnold's, or his motorbike would fall on him, or something. He'd have some plan, mate. Yeah, but see, maybe know, maybe it doesn't Richie, become that cool for Richie and you know uh, what's Ralph Mouth? He's a ranger as well. He's got a heap of freckles, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's a fool. He's definitely the full ranger, Ralph Mouth. Yeah, he actually had a really cool hot rod and happy days. You know that Model A yeah. roads to pick yeah. up. Just never got to see a lot of it, unfortunately. So, um, apart from the opening credits, but that if I was ever going to build a hot rod, that style's pretty cool too. It's probably been a little bit done to death. In years since, but I can understand why. But then again, I'd love a Milner coupe too. That's like that's that, just that, such that a great shape. And what is it, a Milner? So much with that. Yeah, John Milner. You know, an American Feed. He oh, had that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yep, yep. yeah, the five window deuce coupe, and you know, that's that's definitely I think something that'd be cool to cruise around as as well. course there's no secret that you and i we actually do a fair bit with street machine magazine with various contributions and that sort of stuff but i think that street machine magazine is not just something we're associated with now it's been like the horsepower bible for both of us since we were kids i mean you know at the end of the day we both grew up reading it before well and truly before we had anything to do with the magazine but you know um i really like to sort of talk about now, the latest issue and just get your opinions. I know you've got, man, as far as reading magazines go, you are probably the most conscientious, thorough reader of a magazine I've ever met. So, you know, we grew up with things like Street Machine, of course, Performance Streetcar. You had Custom Rotter, Custom Vans and Trucks. But um, have you actually had a good chance to thumb through? Actually, that's a really stupid question because I've just gone to say how prof- proficient you are with reading magazines. You've probably read that the, the the January 2018 issue probably 10 times over already, have you? I have read it a few times. Um, the, the funny thing is actually with magazines are dead, right, it is an absolute hobby for me. And with Street Machine, I just do uh, bits and pieces. I don't actually, I'm not one of their writers or anything. But um, I was talking to Mitch Lee from ADB, and I think I mentioned it to Simon as well from uh, Street Machine. With, with a magazine, I think people are quick to bag it out, the actual magazine as well, because they're just not educated with it. I think it's important with a legacy magazine, which Street Machine is, so is ADB and a few other Australian magazines. You know, Women's Day, for instance, their legacy, they've been around for a long time, wheels. I think it's important to contribute to them, even if it's just a photo, a yarn, a subscription. I mean, I'm not here to sell anything for Street Machine. I have actual no financial attachment to them, never never had any attachment to them. I am absolutely guilty of being obsessed with the magazine. I really enjoy it, and it, I have enjoyed it. Yeah, mega fan, it, definitely. My whole yeah. life, so I mean... The current crew before them, everyone, you know, I've really always enjoyed street machines. At times when I've had no car, there's been times I've just had, I've lived in the city and just had a, a push bike, BMX. <laughs> um, I've always bought the magazine, even when I had no car. So I've always really uh, been a fan of it. Very important how you read, how you read street machines. Uh, I get a bit frustrated when, obviously, I, you know what, I've probably got, honestly, 
four or five street machines in this whole house. I just am terrible because they're very utility for me. I take him to work. I take him in crib huts. I'm down the road. My mate, I drag him down to his shed. We have a yarn. I leave him in nephews. I cut photos out of him. Me personally, I've probably got, honestly, less than less than half a dozen magazines here because they just end up in my youth, my toolbox, they end up all, all over the place. So the main thing for me is when I show somebody a car in a magazine, right, I just click open up any car, the first thing they can do is say, oh, I don't like the wheels or it's the wrong colour. <laughs> it gets me so frustrated. I think the proper way to read Street Machine is to read it five or six times during the month because a car looks totally different on your fourth view. Most guys who don't subscribe to the magazine, only going to look at each car once, you know, probably pick it up at the crew button, have a bit of a look and say stuff like, oh, it's a money pit. But people who subscribe or people who are owners, builders, or, you know, even owners, will um, yeah. get what I mean. The car, when you first see it, like a good good example, just to go back one issue, is the blue uh, EH wagon on the front of uh, December 17th. Yeah. You have to have a look at that car a couple of times. The photo on one page doesn't do the seat justice, but on the next page, the photo actually interpret a lot better how the seats look, you know, it sort of makes sense. And what maybe you didn't like the wheels on the first view, but after four or five, you know, looks at the magazine and each article, you go, yep, I get it. And I, I actually open the yeah. magazine. The first thing I do, I do read every single word in it from, I mean, from the Shannon dads to the, to the, you know, readers. Readers' rights are one of my absolute favourite sections. But anyway, the first thing I do is I look at um, just the staff list, you know, just see what's happening there. I know it's owned by Bauer and bits and pieces, but just have a look at the staff list, see who's on the move, who's new, who, what's going on, who. As soon as I see old school in the uh, anything, I swear, as soon as I see old school written anywhere on the front two or three pages, I look next to it and see it's uh, Simon Major. <laughs> yeah, well, that's where my heart is, you know that. But, you know, in the January issue, I, I must admit, when you're talking about, you know, what I guess floats your boat, I'll be brutally honest. Like, I've never looked twice at XB sedans. Like, I don't mind them. You know, I never really thought anything sort of I'd never aspired to own one, never aspired to think I'm going to actually buy one and do one up myself or anything like that, or even giving them much of a second look. I mean, I did enjoy George Anthony's version years ago, the bright yellow one, which had the graphics and the injection hanging through the bonnet. That was pretty Grand wild Willy. at the time. But yeah, I got it. That's it. But that white one, like the Steve's, Steve's white one that's on the cover of the latest issue, mate, that thing, that would be the rig of the month for me for that issue. Yep. You know, look, it's just made me look at XBs in a totally different way. And the fact that I like, you know, I, I like that style, I think because it, it's really got a real old school kind of almost a pro street style, which I guess tugs at my heartstrings, being that that's the era I love as well as street machining. Um, you know, there's just something, mate, it's, like I said, it's just changed my total, total interpretation of how cool an XB sedan can be, you know, and that's, that's the thing. It's not that I hated them, they just did nothing for me, but this car... Definitely something about it has just totally changed my outlook on XBs, that's for sure. When I look at it, the thing that is amazing for me, it's, it's the cover shot. It's great. It, have a look at it. It's the Carby Fed XB Falcon, small block. I oh, say, so I think it's small block with 15-inch wheels on it. I mean, and that's on the cover. I'm like, hallelujah. I'm like, yep, that's where I'm yeah. That's rock. Yeah. And, the, and the cover shot is actually great. I kind of, as far as covers, I think it's one of my favourite ones. Everything's one of my favourite ones, but it's one of my favourite ones since Granta. Granter was an amazing year. I could talk about it for, for weeks. And when he's on the front cover, could probably both because we're kind of from that old school. We could probably dedicate an episode to Granter by itself. Um, but very, very look, definitely that that XB sedan that's changed my look on on Falcons. And for me, that's probably the standout car. And look, I I obviously also enjoyed Drag Challenge. I think what Drag Drag Challenge is doing, you know, when you in such a, a short, I guess, few years, Drag Challenge has become such an amazing event. And you've got so many people getting on board with it who 
are building cars specifically for it. They get together with their mates, have a good time. And look, as much as I don't want to be a negative Nancy about stuff, like I get really frustrated with a lot of the negativity. See, just I guess just to let people know, like, you know, you read, you don't do a lot of social media. Like that's just not your thing. You're you're that's how old school you are. You don't really delve into that. But you know, like on Facebook and a lot of the social media sites, cars just get slaughtered these days by people and people get slaughtered by other people with cars, you know, and it's sort of it's it's great to see that the drag challenge it's kind of brought out it's re I guess it's um reestablished my love of of the car scene in a lot of ways because people are happy to help people out. You know, there was someone would be having problems on the side of the road and there'd be offers of help, mate, I've got a hoist here, I've got this here, I've got that there. And it's been fantastic to follow that. I think it's just it's been a really fresh injection into the Australian car scene in a lot of ways. And also, too, I mean, people always complain, oh, it's not a street machine. But you've got cars running sevens and eights, which are driven thousands of kilometres. Right. So if that's not a street machine, that's probably doing more, they're probably doing more kilometres than a lot of other street machine cars that, you know, have a third of the horsepower, yeah, exactly. you know what I mean, like per year. So I think definitely, I think it's 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 made... A lot of the haters have to actually maybe take stock of what what they're saying and and maybe open their eyes to the reality of what's happening. But at the end of the day, the, the entrance and the people attending drag challenge they don't care. They just out there to have a good time and they do it all for themselves. And that's what I think is fantastic. And I just hope the event continues to grow. I mean, I hope it continues to grow over the next few years. I think that'd be fantastic. So, mate, yeah. I had a bit of time off over Christmas and I sat down and I. And it's, it's like decadence. It's like obesity. It's like the most. I sat down with the drag challenge uh, session of, of the new street machine, looked at every car and just drank it in. It was just like a Christmas present for me. The, the street machine was fat, so it's 244 pages. But I mean, especially the drag challenge section was just outstanding. Definitely. And, and you're right. Definitely. You know, what, it's, it's kind of like careful what you wish for. Not careful what you wish for, but that's a, a, and that's saying that in probably 19, I went to Summonats, Summonats, I went to Summonats probably four years in a row from 1990 to 94 when I was living down that way. Yeah. And I usually sure. enjoy the uh, cardboard fantasy parade. Do you, you remember what that was? Yeah, I remember that. I remember that really well. Yeah. Yep. And make supercharges and make it sort of wheelie tubs and uh, wheelie bars and tubs and bits and pieces. And now here, here we are. 20 years later, 25 years later, and it's just come true. <laughs> Everything going around is on. Yeah, it's but it's drag. a real version, isn't it? Yeah, I yeah. know. Oh, it's excellent. It's like computer man. And I think Drag Challenge is, is, is like that as well. We're going, you know, for me, the I guess the description of streetcars from my time is like 500 horsepower, 10 second car. You know, that thing was 500 yeah. horsepower. And now it's just these things, seven second cars, and they drive them. I also like that when uh, Damien Chubby Lowe drove his VH, was it, or his V? A ready coloured one. Bro, yeah, the WA. That's my Nick right yeah. there. That is spot on. I actually his um, yeah. his light colour car. I don't know what's happening with that. It's in the build, or is it pulled apart? Or oh, I'm not actually too sure. I haven't seen it for a while, but or heard heard about it for a while. But definitely that um, yeah, the ready coloured thing was pretty popular, and he did do a lot of miles in that, and that was such built to such an like an amazing level of detail. You got to give kudos to someone who's willing to take a vehicle like that and to you know take it on a pretty punishing trip. That's for sure. Yeah, that's right. It's not. A, I, I, yeah. I get. I, I get a giggle out of the Easter egg cars. I call them guys and take them out in the sun or the weather. Like fuck me, dead. It's not an Easter egg. It's just in Toronto built in Australia. Not an Easter egg, mate. <laughs> You'll be right. right. Yeah. yeah. Hey, um, speaking of speaking of Commodores and speaking of cardboard fantasy, you got anything planned for your VK? Like as far as a 
bit of a project. I've seen you've got some domestic bliss happening at all. <laughs> Definitely. Due to beating the shit out of my VK, and I did beat the shit out of it anybody, so it's, that's what it's for. I mean, it's yeah. like six yeah. set of tyres on its back, you know. We, but um, <clears throat> what we're going to do is give it a bit of a change. We're going to put some Group C flares on it. We're going to uh, send the rims down to, to Simmons to have them rebuilt and, and widened up a bit. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, we're going to put a drop tank in it, a roll cage, and just go for that real... Um, Big bang. Yeah, it's hard to look, is it? Yeah. But I'm not going to paint the whole car. I'm just going to paint the flares and put it on them. And um, if Robert, you're listening, get your tools ready. <laughs> no, but um, definitely going to change up <laughs> without, you know, without going too deep into it. I mean, we've got a couple of spare uh, 308s here, so I figure it doesn't need an LS1 because we've got good stock of 308s in the family sort of thing, and I'd prefer, prefer it anyway. Like I said, I was, <laughs> it's funny because I always wanted a VK with Simmons <laughs> and just the opportunity yeah. to come up and... It's like saying it's it's one of the few things that from my era that hasn't just crossed itself out of the markets. You know they're still out there and still available. But uh, what do you got going on as far as a project, mate? Oh, I've always got my finger in a lot of pies with projects. I mean, but unfortunately, it's not <laughs> it's not just cars. Actually, speaking of 1973, I'm actually restoring a 1973 Tonka Winnebago. It's actually like a Winnebago camper. That's a Tonka, like a Tonka truck, I suppose, but it's like a big camper van. So that's actually a 73 model. Hold on, um, hold on. I understand the word. Hold on. I understood every word. I speak English. <laughs> what? A Tonka? Winnebago. Winnebago. You know, like Winnebago campervans? Yeah, I know what a Tonka is. So it's a Tonka yeah, Winnebago. Yeah. In 73, Tonka released a Winnebago. Oh, I know. Like, as in a kid's, like, it's like a kid's camp. It's a toy. Like, if we were five, we'd sit on it and I'd push it down the street. It's like, you know, like, kind of like bulky, like a Tonka truck, but it's actually a Winnebago. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you some photos, and you'll see. And I'll put a couple of photos up on our pages, and it's it's a it's a cool thing. I love it. I love it. I spotted one at Toowoomba Swap a couple of years ago, and have been kind of keeping an eye out. It's amazing how many of them are actually around, like how popular they are. But it's a it's a cool thing, and I, I just love. Again, it's the whole. Yeah, it's just the mix of what, you know, loving things as a kid. But I guess going on from that, I'm also got a couple of BMXs on the go. I love Madison BMXs, so I'm doing a couple of Madison BMX bike builds at the moment. But probably to actually answer your question car-wise, my better half, uh, she has an EH Holden sedan that she's owned for 20 years. And uh, like 10 years ago, like well before I was ever on the scene with her, it um, got pretty badly written off. Uh, a, a red light running unlicensed bloke cleaned her up pretty bad and put her in hospital and all the rest of it. So it did a lot of damage to the car and I'm actually rebuilding that at the moment. So it actually just went off to a panel shop yesterday to have the, the floor pan. It needs to, the floor pan needs to be pulled about an inch on one side. So that's gone off to have a bit of a, bit of a rack, bit of a rack pull, but, um, <laughs> we're hoping to get that on the road kind of by the end of the year. So that's a pretty big project. Like we've got to, um, you know, go through a fair bit of work, like it cracked the engine blocks. I'm going to put another engine in it. And but I guess the reason why we want to save this car is that she loves the car so much. Like she, it is just, you know, it, it's been such a massive part of her life. And it's actually a hot little thing. Like it's got 192 with triple Strombergs and a five speed. And it's got little like fat flares on the back and was running um, 13 by seven inch jelly beans. You know, they're like a seven inch rim, but they've got about, one inch back space and it's all offset. They really look, you know, really cool. And it's got a crushed velvet brown interior. So we're actually restoring it to that to that eighties look, like how it was when she drove it. So um, that's probably the biggest thing on the go. Everything else of mine, like at the moment, it's it's fairly much done. I'm kind of lucky that I've just built cars once, and I learned very early on with building cars that you build them the way you want them from the start, so you don't go back and keep changing things. So all I do now is maybe just tinker with a couple of minor things, like. I've got that red Sturbia panel van, as you know. Um, I just okay. fitted some eight and a half inch rims to the front of that. 
So I'm, my next job with that, I'll put some half-inch wheel studs on the front just for a bit of safety. Um, finally, my old days, Valiant Hardtop, I've been having these visions lately of somehow, you know they do like two-inch lowered stub axles? Yeah, your drop spindle. Right. Yeah, yeah. I want to actually do two-inch rays, so I want to somehow, you know, I know they have to be properly, yeah, on the properly right, engineered the right and all the rest of it. Can you put the right one on the left and the left one on the right? No, it doesn't. <laughs> Unfortunately not, no. I'd actually have to actually move, this, move the actual stub itself. Um, so anyway, look, that's just a bit of a pipe dream crazy thing I've got going in the back of my mind. But apart from that, look, my other six-cylinder hardtop, that hasn't changed in 10 years. If anything, that just probably needs a good detail. Actually, one thing old days does need, it still needs to be cleaned from Asphalt Demons, which is on last year. So all that mud's going to set like concrete. But apart from that, so yeah, you know, a few little irons in the fires, but just mainly stuff you get as, as time goes on. But definitely the main focus at the moment is the, is the EH project. So you know, look, the HR front end was bent in the crash, so um, we got hold of another one. I'm just at the moment, I'm just piecing the two together to make one good one. We'll be doing a full, well, like a full, I guess, dry run assembly of the car, just to make sure everything's going to line up and, and be okay as far as you know post crash. Like we've got a new subframe for it, so I basically want to dummy assemble the car, then we'll pull it all down, paint everything properly rebuild the front end with bushes and all the other good stuff. So at the moment, we're just in the, the planning stages to fix it from all the accident damage, and then we'll get that hopefully back on the, back on the street. So I'm, I'm really looking forward you to that. To, so, to, yeah. From the streetcar, guys, we, we'd like to see a technical issue, uh, like an article on that. If you could put together a few thoughts and some technical stuff on it as far as working with your wife on a streetcar. Yeah, well, you know, she's actually pretty cool. Like, she's... She's a pretty dab hand with tools and that sort of stuff, and it makes life easy because I kind of get in trouble if I don't work on her car, which is just unheard of. So it's, you know, we work well together on, on cars, and it honestly it just makes life so much easier. Let's be but happy. <laughs> I'm pretty lucky. I know how lucky I am because she's happy, and she'll drive all my cars, and she loves and she knows how to steer, and it's all good. So, um, yeah, that's that's kind of the main project she's one at the moment. But She's listening right now. She's standing behind you, isn't she? <laughs> no, actually, she's not, but I'm sure she will be at some stage. So hopefully it gets me some serious brownie points, but <laughs> we'll see how we go. Hey, what, when we're talking, I think the word gets used a bit more. I don't use the word, or the, the genre street, uh, beg your pardon, old school. I just use streetcar. It's just an absolute streetcar. What do you think of the Toronto that won the Dino Challenge at the summer Mate, this year? Did yeah. you a chance to look at? Definitely. You know, the fact it's got flares, the fact it's got a supercharger, big wheels. Yeah, it, it's it just, I guess, it, again, like I said, it just, it really harks back to what I loved as a kid, you know, growing up. There was that amazing, um, I can't remember the guy's name to, who built it, unfortunately, sorry, but there was a fantastic Barbados green LX Tirana four-door that was big in the 80s with uh, centerline auto drags, and it was featured in Street Machine, a couple of guys. I think the place for XPT 350. Oh, yeah, um, from Orange, New South Wales, yeah. Yeah, that car was yeah. a big influence. Yep. I love that. Still my favourite Toronto colour to this day. And, of course, Howard Bell's like SLR 8000. But, you know, they're both fantastic cars. So, um, you know, I, I, I kind of see that car that won the horsepower thing. I'm, I'm just, like, glad it's kind of showing that as much as turbos are fantastic and being great power, I just love that whole old-school, die-hard street machine thing still alive and kicking. I think it's fantastic. Well, Blowing car one um, drag challenge in the states this week, this year, last year. A blown car yeah, one, yeah, that's right. The Corvette, whatever. So I think there's um, there's some yeah. fun with the, the one the Dyno challenge as well. Well, mate, looking forward to next episode. Uh, we're probably going to tackle 986, 
which may be a bit of a worry because we were probably both just, you know, entering puberty at that time, being 13. So I'm not really sure if it's somewhere we want to go back to, but hopefully it's um, something we can definitely tackle with, with bravery, mate. It's probably the way to do it. Yeah, that's, uh, that's fine. 1986 actually is Who Made Who by Akadaka, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I know. I've got the album on the wall. Oh, fantastic. And that's how, how good that for a song, that intro to it is just so good. So that, like, yeah, it's yeah, actually, it's a bit unusual. It's got a drum intro. If you listen to it, it's got like a drum beat intro instead of guitar. It's good. Yeah, yeah. No, that's definitely the guy. And it was a massive year for, for the cast in Australia too. Like 1986 was a turning point and it's probably one of the years closest to my heart as well. So um, we'll tackle onto that. So, folks, that wraps up episode one of Thong Slappers. Um, should you have any commentary, want to feed us any negative, maybe even a positive as well, you can find us on Facebook at The Thong Slappers. You can also follow us on Instagram at The Thong Slappers, funnily enough. Or otherwise, if death by social media isn't your chosen form, you can email us at thongslappers at optusnet.com.au. So thanks, Red. I look forward to speaking to you about 986. So get your mullet ready, mate. I think 86 killed the six on the Holden, didn't it? Well, I guess it would have been close. Yeah, VL. Yeah, well, there you go. Mate, it's getting controversial already. We haven't even recorded it. The old man won't be happy about that. (laughs) All right. We'll see you guys soon. Thank you. The Thong Slappers podcast wouldn't stand a chance without help from the following people. Lucy and Deb, Jackie and Nick, and Macca and Harry. Thanks, folks.